0: Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be.
1: My dear friends in Christ, in the Gospel reading from last Sunday, by comparing himself to a shepherd, and us to his sheep, we heard our Lord make the radical claim that in the first instance we belong to no one, not even to ourselves, but rather we belong to him. Said differently, the Creator has created his creatures, especially those created in his image and likeness, for relationship with him. And just as a shepherd guides his sheep, protects them, and provides for their well-being, so too does the Creator richly provide for his creatures. With this metaphor, our Lord paired another, comparing himself to a gate, suggesting that the only way to a fully flourishing human life passed through him. But a fully flourishing human life not only passes through Christ, it passes through him to him. Thus, once we pass through the gate he is, we are welcomed into his life. And it is by partaking of this life that we flourish as creatures created in God's image. In our readings for this weekend, we are given a deeper understanding of the basic shape and direction of a life lived with Jesus. This Sunday's Gospel and next Sunday's Gospel both come from what Scripture scholars refer to as Jesus' last discourse, which spans chapters 14 through 17 of the Gospel of John. Scripture scholar Raymond Brown writes that in terms of form and content, it resembles a testament or a farewell speech where a speaker, sometimes a father to his children, announces the imminence of his departure. Jesus' departure begins with his passion, but will ultimately find its climax in his ascension, which we will celebrate in two weeks. Of course, through the gift of his Holy Spirit and the sacraments, Jesus is not ever gone, which he tells his disciples and us at the end of Matthew's gospel. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That said, after his passion, and even more so after his ascension, Jesus' presence to his disciples becomes qualitatively different. Such is the meaning, for example, of the episode with Mary Magdalene after the resurrection, where Jesus tells her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. Jesus wants to prepare his friends for a time when he will not be present to them in the same way they have become accustomed to after three years of living with and following him. Thus, on the eve of his passion, he provides this summary of all he has taught, encourages them to live as he exemplified, and prays for them to the Father. Just moments before this, Jesus had begun preparing his disciples for this last discourse, telling them, "'Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, "'Where I am going, you cannot come.'" Jesus tells them the same in the midst of predicting Peter's denials just after that. So by the time we reach our passage for today, Jesus has already been saying difficult and sad things to the disciples. Thus, knowing that the disciples will be further saddened and perhaps troubled by the talk he is about to give them in order to prepare them for his departure, he begins his farewell discourse with words of encouragement. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. These are not just reassuring words being spoken by Jesus. He is telling his disciples how not to be troubled, and the way for them to avoid being troubled is to have faith in him. Jesus says to his disciples, believe in God, believe also in me. In these lines, Jesus is making his equality to God clear to his disciples, and thus they should have faith in him with the very same faith they have in God. The Greek word being translated as believe is rooted in the Greek word pistis which we often translate as faith, but means most basically, trust. This is the faith Jesus calls his disciples to have in him. Knowing that what lies ahead for them in both his passion and ascension will be difficult for his disciples, Jesus calls them to deeper trust in him. So the object of the disciples' faith, of their trust, must be Jesus. But more specifically, Jesus is calling them to trust that what he has already told them is true. Amid predicting Peter's denials, Jesus had told the disciples, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. There are two interrelated meanings in these words, and this double meaning is likewise found in the next words Jesus speaks in his farewell discourse heard today. Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way to the place where I am going. These lines are packed full of theological meaning. For starters, Jesus says there are many dwelling places in the Father's house. The multiplicity suggests that Jesus is going to the Father's house to prepare a place for each and every single one of his disciples, and the accommodations being prepared are capacious, beyond anything his motley crew of disciples had ever experienced before. For the word translated as dwelling places is the Greek monai, which could also be translated as mansions. So by using this metaphor, Jesus is telling his disciples something similar to what St. Paul writes to the Corinthians in his first letter to them. Namely, that the place Jesus goes to prepare for those who love God is what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the human heart conceived. In short, the life of heaven is far beyond anything we now experience such that any comparison pales next to it. Then what is heaven? Can anything be said of it? Without knowing it exactly, this is the question Thomas has for Jesus. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus responds with the famous words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice that in these words, Jesus has clarified the previously used analogy. For now, Jesus no longer speaks of mansions, but instead to what the mansions signified, that is, the Father. Alternatively, we might say the presence or embrace of the Father. The point is, the place Jesus is preparing is the eternal embrace of the divine, wherein, as St. Peter says in his second epistle, we are made partakers of the divine nature. What Jesus is telling his disciples is that through his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension, He is opening up the way that has up till then been shut to the human family, but nevertheless the life they have been created for as creatures created in God's image, participation in the very life of God. This is the truth of reality, which Jesus' paschal mystery reveals and makes possible. And thus Jesus and only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Which is another way of saying what was asserted last weekend, we travel along Jesus as way to him as end and here suggested by the title's truth and life this connection is missed momentarily by Philip who says to Jesus lord show us the father and we will be satisfied however much faith Philip has in Jesus up to now he is still unable to understand who Jesus really is that while there is distinction between the father and the son there is no separation between them nor between them and the holy spirit who eternally obtains with them. Thus Jesus rhetorically asks Philip and us, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Jesus, the incarnate Son, and the Father are so united that where one works, both are at work. And to the two, Jesus will add the Holy Spirit in next weekend's gospel. This is the doctrine of inseparable operations, where one person of the Trinity acts, all act, as God is one and indivisible. In his response to Philip, Jesus suggests that the life of the Father, and thus of the triune Godhead, is revealed through his incarnate life and in the works he carries out. So the question is, what works is Jesus referring to here? Well, all of them. There is not one thing that the Incarnate Son does that does not reveal the life of God. So the healings, the exorcisms, the feedings, the teaching, and everything else all reveal the eternal exchange of love that is the divine life. Of course, there is one work left that Jesus has yet to carry out that will reveal this life most perfectly, His Passion. In a most eloquent way, the Passion of the Incarnate Son reveals the inner life of the Trinity to the world, If we want to know what the life of God looks like, we need only look one place, the cross. The cross reveals that what it means to be the Son is to give himself completely to the Father. Thus from the cross Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, revealing that what has just taken place reveals the manner the Son places his life in the hands of the Father completely and without reservation. At this juncture, we can draw a couple of points together. The sacrifice of the cross most perfectly reveals both the mansions or dwelling places Jesus mentions at the beginning of the farewell discourse and the way to get to them. Said differently, it is by living in harmony with the self-sacrificing love of God revealed on the cross here and now that we begin entering into the eternal exchange of love that is the triune God, an entry which will be fully consummated and perfected in eternity. Thus, Jesus tells the disciples, You know the way to the place where I am going, because I am the way. So there is a unity and a multiplicity. There is one way to these mansions, the incarnate Son, and likewise there is one life which obtains in them, the divine life. Yet there are many mansions because participation in the divine life does not abolish the diversity or uniqueness of the human occupants or participants. Rather, the participants live life most fully in a diversely unified participation in the divine life. This is a truth that will be again emphasized on Pentecost with the descent of the Holy Spirit. This side of eternity, however, participatory imitation in the life of the divine remains a life appropriately characterized as self-sacrifice, as seen most perfectly on the cross. On the cross, Jesus offers himself completely to the Father to open the way for the human family perfect communion with them in this complete self-sacrifice of love jesus is characterized in the book of hebrews as our great high priest but if it is by his priestly offering that jesus opens the way to eternal participation in the life of god it is likewise a priestly life that characterizes the manner in which we are to travel along that way this is precisely what saint peter tells us in our second reading for today come to the lord a living stone And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter later goes on to cite the book of Exodus and the prophet Isaiah when he tells us, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. It is for this purpose that God has called a people to himself, Peter says, to become a priestly people who offer the whole of their lives in self-sacrificing love to God and neighbor as Christ did. And the effect is twofold. By living lives of self-sacrificing love, our very lives become the spiritual house Peter refers to, that is, the place where God is worshipped. And second, Peter says, by living priestly lives of self-sacrificing love, we declare the wonderful deeds of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Such a life, therefore, as our Lord says in the Sermon on the Mount, allows the light that is Christ to shine in the darkness of the world so that the whole human family might respond to the call of God to become a priestly people, a priestly human family, and thereby give glory to God the Father. This is why the Eucharistic liturgy is referred to as the source and summit of the Christian life. It is in the Mass that not only is the sacrifice of the great high priest the Son of God incarnate, made present to us, but that he gives us a participation in his sacrifice such that it becomes our own. Thus, in paragraph 1368 of the Catechism, the Church teaches that the Eucharist is also the sacrifice of the Church. The Church, which is the body of Christ, participates in the offering of her head. Thus, in the invitation to prayer of the Eucharistic liturgy, the priest says to the body of Christ gathered, Pray, brethren that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Thus, it is crucial that we be as attentive and prayerful as possible to the Eucharistic prayer prayed by the priest, and allow the words to draw us into the sacrifice of Christ. For by being attentive, our intentionality is formed, whereby we freely offer ourselves completely to God the Father through, with, and in the Son." This is precisely why the Eucharistic prayers all culminate in these very words in the concluding doxology. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. My friends, the concluding doxology of the Eucharistic prayer sums up what the life of the creature is all about. It is for this purpose we have been created, to glorify God with the whole of our lives, And glory is given to God, who is love, only in one way, by a life of complete love. It is such a love that we partake of in the Eucharistic liturgy and in the reception of our Lord in the Eucharist. Yet it takes a lifetime to learn how to live according to the love we receive. Thus the Catechism teaches us that not only do we offer ourselves together with Christ in the Mass, but that every aspect of our lives is to become a continuous extension of that offering without exception, so as to become a living sacrifice through, with, and in the Son. It is at the Mass, the source and summit of the Christian life, that we are taught what living in such a way means and provided the grace to live in such a way, so that the world may know that the fullness of life is only had through, with, and in Jesus Christ.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.